0: who has been made perfect forever. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, bless us as we come to your word to understand it, uh, to believe it, to be comforted and strengthened in it, and, Lord, to live it out in our lives. For your glory and honor, amen. One summer, I think some of you know this, I worked for a drilling firm in Birmingham, Alabama. And because... I the college kid begged and begged and begged I got to move from being the top man who merely cranked the bucket up and emptied the rocks to the hole man who got to run the drill and the jackhammer you know I always thought this the greatest thing in the world that I got to be in the hole right so typical uh, event would you'd be in a hole for maybe a week and you take it down to bedrock and then you'd test it with a four-foot bit, six-foot bit, and finally a 10-foot bit to make sure you're on bedrock. Now, it was quite a scene that this college kid was in the hole because this one wizened old guy that looked like he was 150 years old, um, and I'm not sure he was all quite straight, honestly, but <clears throat> he ran the machine, which was very valuable, that ran the air pressure. So our you know drills and jackhammers would work. But every day he would come by my hole, his old wizened face leaning over the hole and he'd say, Hey you doing down there, groundhog? <laughs> you know, was just, that was my introduction to every day, you know, as I knew he would come by and mock me that I was a college kid in the hole, the groundhog. <clears throat> but what was always it was interesting. I, I didn't expect to be affected like this, but when they would fill the hole after you've been in that hole for a week, it just seemed so unceremonious that this place where you kind of lived and breathed and thought and prayed and all these things just filled up with concrete. Now <laughs> you know it's just. But always interesting. They would fill before they put the concrete in. Fill it with iron bars all the way you know, around the hole and then the concrete was poured in. And without the iron bars, it would do no good at all. It wouldn't form a foundation of what became the civic center in, in Birmingham. And I want to propose to you that the concrete of, of Christ's priesthood is strengthened in this passage by the steel of several things. Okay, There's the steel uh, that's set out in three ways in this passage that, that gives strength and foundation to his priesthood. It makes it certain. It makes it unchanging. It makes it perfect and effective. So the three things are, and you find them just laid out in paragraph form here, He's a priest by oath. That's very important to this writer, obviously. You can see from the two sections on oath. He's a priest who is permanent. That's what he deals with in the next part. And so he really is breaking down Psalm 110 that's quoted there in verse 21. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. He deals with that part in verses 20 through 22. And then you are a priest forever in verses 23 through 25. So you see how he's laying it out. You're a priest by oath. You're a priest who is permanent. And then finally, in the last section, beginning with verse 26, you're a priest, I'll call it, of the CPA. That's a little shout out to the McCartys and Beth uh, and others who are CPAs. but he deals in this last part with three things. You have ultimate character, ultimate position, ultimate achievement, CPA, okay? Um, we'll deal with those briefly. So, a priest by oath, a priest who is permanent, a priest who is, has ultimate character, position, and achievement. So, in this first section, priest by oath, it, it doesn't read as well in the English, but you can read this beginning in verse 20. And since it was not without an oath, and then a parenthesis until you get to verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So this is how it reads. Uh, because or since it was with an oath, he's the guarantor of a better covenant. In other words, the oath stands behind Christ In his mission, the oath is what supports Christ to bring about this new covenant, this better covenant. So, the former priesthood, as he says here, there was no oath involved with that priesthood, and that's regarded as a weaker thing. It didn't have the benefit of the oath of God, because the oath of God makes it absolutely certain absolutely unchangeable, absolutely unsalable that this priesthood is established forever and it can't be touched. It was established with an oath. So it's not just a lesser priesthood and a greater priesthood. Jesus is a whole different kind of priest based on a whole different foundation. This is God's new forever institution set up for the rest of human history, absolutely validated by God's solemn oath. You don't ever take the witness stand without the oath, right? It makes it solemn, established. What I'm saying, I swear to you, so help me God, putting your hand on the Bible, this is the truth. That's the feel of this. And isn't it amazing that God would I mean, why bother with this except for our benefit? Except to stoop to us and say, I want to give you every assurance that you can count on the priesthood of Christ. It will not be taken away. It will not be interfered with. I give you my oath. Amazing thing that God would say such a thing to us establishing, as he said earlier in chapter 6, the unchangeable purpose, the unchangeable character of his purpose. He will never turn away from that. And it's even made more certain, where it says he's sworn and will not change his mind. You not even have to say that, but you see how he's putting layer after layer to try to encourage you and me. It means that the rich blessings of the new covenant will be yours and mine to the fullest. It cannot change. It will not change. He has sworn. Jesus is the priest now of these last days. And he is the guarantor of a better covenant. This covenant is God's sovereign promise to do us good. Guaranteed by Jesus' blood. And it opens the way to intimacy with God, to bring us into the presence of God, to draw near to God. As he says at the end of uh, chapter 6 this anchor of the soul, this sure hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So God wants to give you this oath. I promise you, I swear that there will be a priest forever that is inside the curtain that brings you into that curtain. That's your anchor forever. You can count on it. You will have a priest forever inside the curtain and he brings you in the curtain. That's where you belong. That's where you will stay. That's where we will have intimate fellowship. I swear it. And this word guarantor, it can mean like a down payment or collateral that you pay uh, to guarantee that you're going to satisfy a debt. But it also is used as it is here of a person who puts himself as the guarantee. Like the, the son who said, I will stay here. I, I, will, I will hold myself ransom for the sake of of my brother I will put my life on the line and if I don't if 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 he is not returned to you I, may I be put to death that's how god that's how what jesus has done he stakes his own life down and says i guarantee i'm the bond of this new covenant i'm the pledge that it will be fulfilled for you That you will know it's forgiveness and transformation. It's interesting that the language in chapter 6 is a little hidden in in the English. But I want you to look at verse 18. It actually reads this way. uh, And the NIV, if you have an NIV, it's, it's very accurate at this point. But he says, it actually reads... We have fled to hold to the hope set before us. Okay? That's the way it reads. We have run to lay hold of this hope that is before us. You remember the scene in The Matrix where uh, where Morpheus is bound and he breaks his bonds where uh, Smith and... Jones and Company have held him, and he's running out the. He's running across the room, and Neo is in the helicopter. And at some point, he sees he's not going to make it, so he tethers himself to the helicopter and he flies out of the helicopter as Morpheus flies out of the building, and they catch right and he holds him fast and delivers him away. But that sense of Morpheus leaping. For the hope of deliverance. That's the idea there in 6. That we run and we lay hold of this hope. This sure anchor. This only way I could end up in the presence of God. In his favor. And it's through this priest that God has sworn that I could have. How glorious. That God would go to that extent Not just to provide the priest, but say, I swear to you, you will have this glorious benefit forever. You will be inside the curtain. So, by oath, he's this priest. So sure and certain is he for us. But he's also, as he begins to talk about next, a permanent priest. That's where he takes that phrase, you are a priest forever. Forever. And Hebrews, to having many priests in the Old Testament was a sign of how they were incomplete and imperfect. They were so many of them because they couldn't continue because they kept dying. See, it's an indication of their weakness. Indication that the continuity is, is disrupted. Think of a power outage or the breakup of a food supply. They were frail. They were fragile. They're marked by death. There had to be a provision for succession because of the weakness of these priests that kept dying. Dying men handing over the priesthood to dying men. And as opposed to that, now we have a permanent priesthood. It spoke earlier in this chapter of the power of an indestructible life. One who... Does not die. In fact, the word remain here, uh, the word where it says he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever, that word continue is used in the Old Testament to speak of God who remains where man fades. God remains forever. His continuing life that contrasts limited human existence. And so he participates in the life of God. It shows that his priesthood is sure, it's sovereign, it's indestructible. That's why it's permanent. So he's able to save, as he says in verse 25, completely because he's always making intercession. There's no breakup of his priesthood. There's no succession. There's no need for it because he permanently holds this office and gloriously, perfectly carries it out for his people. So his support, his resources are available to you at each critical moment of your life. What you need, when you need it, because he always lives to make intercession. He's the permanent, hands-on priest At every moment of every one of your lives, He guarantees that every aspect of His salvation will be poured out into your life. That you will and can, as you trust Him, enjoy God's complete forgiveness, His favor, and acceptance. To know his joy to do you good. That's what it means to be within the veil with him. To be in the arena of God's acceptance and favor. That's what he does for you as a priest. And as a priest he is calling, he is presenting himself to God so that you would be more and more transformed by his grace. So that all that he has accomplished in his death will be poured out in your life to transform you. So that you could be a person who more and more faces your own brokenness and sin. And you confess it to God and to others. You make real changes in the way you love people. Especially those who are closest to you you more and more become a person of devoted, joyful prayer, Uh, more and more of a person who is involved in glad adoration and an infectious gratitude, a person who eagerly searches out the treasures of his word to change you so that you more and more can fulfill the difficult but good things he calls you to do, to be more and more responsible and diligent and careful and faithful and obedient. All of these things are available to you because He is your permanent priest, always interceding for you. And so the treasures of His salvation are unlimited and flowing to you. We will sing at the end this great hymn, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. In all of our struggles, he is our anchor because he is inside the curtain with God and he brings us there with him so that all the benefits of his salvation are ours. And then finally, he is this priest, not only a priest by oath, God's oath, not only a priest who is permanent, but a priest who has ultimate character, position, and achievement. In verses 26 through 28, He is perfectly holy and blameless and unstained, uh, innocent, as it says in verse 26. This means he's perfectly pleasing to God on our behalf. You remember that at Jesus' baptism and also on the uh, mount where Jesus was transfigured before his disciples, that God said of him, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And on the cross, through the resurrection, after the cross, you could say his exaltation to the right hand was God's ultimate statement. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The holy, innocent, blameless one. And... You see, we are hidden in his holiness, in his blamelessness, in his innocence. He brings that into the inner curtain with God and we get to come in, as it were, behind that. Right? We are sheltered by his perfection and his beauty. We are hidden in him forever. <clears throat> and notice, when he says it was indeed fitting, it means... He is such a suitable Savior for everything that we need. Such a suitable... We needed someone holy on our behalf because we're not holy. We needed someone unstained who didn't mistreat people like we've mistreated people. We needed someone who loved God perfectly, not like us. We don't love God perfectly. Oh, how fitting it was... That we had this holy priest for us. And it says he's separated. This this doesn't mean so much separated from sinners because he's not like sinners. But it actually is referring to his being separated and exalted on high. He's separated to do us good in that heavenly place. And separated and exalted means nobody can touch that work. It can't be interfered with. It's like when he said to the disciples in John 16, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this is like that. If he goes, the Holy Spirit will come to us. If he goes, he intercedes in the inner place for us and brings us there. It's interesting to me in both of those cases. If I go, I will be intimate with you through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And you will be intimate with me in my presence before the Father. So his absence really means intimacy on both levels. God intimate with us in the Holy Spirit. We're intimate with God as we are with Christ behind the curtain. He's so perfect for us. So absolutely perfect. And he achieves in verse 27 what 10,000 feeble, sinful priests couldn't have accomplished offering up their goats and lambs and bulls. Right? It wouldn't matter how many you had of them. Million of them, 10 million, 100 million. They're not going to accomplish what he did, offering the perfect sacrifice himself as the perfect holy priest with the perfect motive before God, perfectly pleasing the father. What an absolute achievement for us. He is absolutely perfect, you see, in his character, in his position, exalted, in his achievement that he won salvation for us. And it's not as though the son wins the father who is reluctant. Sometimes we get that picture. Boy, if he wasn't interceding for us, the father would just immediately get angry. But you have to realize this was the father's idea all along. It was the Father's plan to send His own Son to suffer so that He would bring us into His presence. The, father, the, the the Son is the expression of the Father's heart toward us. He accomplished what the Father sent Him to do. This is the Father's gracious plan that we would have such a perfect priest. So Jesus being there behind the curtain is the fulfillment of the father's desire to do us good and to prepare the way for us to draw near. All of this is God's open arms to draw us into himself through Jesus Christ. So that we would have free access to him at all times. So that we would know his favor and his love. It greatly pleases him. And so you see, Christ as our priest is God's lavish gift to us. God's own lavish gift to us. He is delighted in our being able to come into his presence. And I want to say a few words about how he makes his intercession. The Bible doesn't present it so much, although this is included in specific intercession. But there's this giant intercession, you might say, of the mere presentation of his wounds and his finished work before the Father. You see, his wounds... Plead your case. Can you imagine? His wounds declare, I have died for this one, and all of my blessings are his. And this completed, perfect offering is the plea to do us good. And do you think the father would say no to the plea of Christ's own blood? Would the father ever not lavishly respond to the presentation of this work on our behalf by lavishly blessing his people? That's why Paul can say, if he didn't spare his own son, he will spare nothing. (laughs) He will spare nothing. And so you have hymns like, Arise, my soul, arise. It says, five blessed wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. You See, the wounds are effective prayers. The wounds plead for me more eloquently than any words could. They demand blessings, don't they? They demand blessings upon his people because he has died for his people. In another hymn, these are you can see these back uh, on facing pages three hundred five and three hundred six if you want to look at it later, but his powerful blood did once atone, and now it pleads before the throne. So his completed sacrifice, if it's ever pleading for you, good will never turn from you. To say no to your good would mean the father has said no to the sacrifice of his son. He will not say no to the sacrifice and he will not say no to doing you good. Because the, the son's wounds plead your case. He sent the Son to do this very thing. I close with a, an illustration. It was interesting. We were several of us were at Jeremy Lelick's conference this week. I was there Friday morning. I happened to be uh, sitting next to Kim Cosgrove, and he was we're turning through sections of Genesis, actually, where I had been doing reading in my devotional, and he said Genesis sixteen, and I said. Hey, I'm going to speak on this this Sunday. Don't think I got it from him. Right? so But it was interesting that he would turn to the same passage. So in this passage, God, uh, Abraham, impatient with God's promise that he would have a son. He and Sarah get together and Sarah says, take Hagar, my servant. And let's have a baby by her. And that sounds really, really weird to us. But in that day, your servant was extended uh, and ex, was considered an extension of yourself. And so if she bore a child, it would be considered your child because she belongs to you. So she has the child and Hagar instead of. Showing gratitude and humility and comfort and all of this thing began to hold it over Sarah's head, holding Sarah in contempt. You can just imagine, well, look who can have a baby and who can't. What, how about this? You can't do this. Look what I did that you couldn't do. You can just imagine the kind of things that went on in that household. Well, Sarah returns contempt for contempt. She drives her away. And then in the wilderness, she thinks there will be no hope, and God finds her. And he begins to enter into a conversation, and he tells her to come back, and he promises her that he will bless her son, Ishmael. And she responds to this finding of her, calling God the God who sees. And what amazes me about this is that God found her and he didn't show up and say, uh, okay, let's talk about this little contempt thing. How's that doing? How's that working for you? Yeah. Look look where that got you, your contempt. Is that the way you're going to live your life? No, nothing, nothing of that. So, you know, showing up, well, well, it's little miscontempt, contempt, Right. Uh, whatever he could have done, but he showed up and promised blessing to her. And I want you to be encouraged by this, that not only is he, we don't even think he sees, but he does see and he cares But for us, he not only sees, he intercedes for you. Even when you've done wrong things, even when you've held others or God in contempt and you abandon ship, he comes after you and he sees your pain and your brokenness and your loneliness. He sees the struggle even though you're immersed in sin. It's so encouraging that so far from not listening, the God-man is interceding. He's presenting his blood as the reason the Father should hear you and do you good. He's inviting you, draw near to God. I'm already here in the, in, behind the curtain. Come, I've already formed the way. Come and pour your heart out to him. He is the God who sees. He is the God who intercedes. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, thank you that you see us in our terrible need. You have met that need in Christ Jesus. You have blessed us in him. And, Lord, you have given him for our comfort forever and ever. To always have this priest. To always have this access to you. To always have the abundant resources of your salvation poured out into our lives. For you will never say no to the presented wounds of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, thank you that you've sworn to it. So that by oath, he is our priest. He is forever that priest. He is a priest of character. A priest exalted a priest who has achieved salvation. Oh, Lord, thank you for your provision of such a priest for us in our need. In Jesus' name, amen.